Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Grace, you brought us to yourself. In love, in grace, you continue to work in our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. As we look at a portion of Hebrews tonight, we want to be open to hearing and then to applying. Through your spirit, minister to us. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Been discussing over a period of weeks the whole issue of salvation, security, perseverance. We've been looking at a number of passages of Scripture. Last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 10. Tonight we went to look at Hebrews chapter 12. I was going to uh, just briefly go through Hebrews chapter 12 and then go on to another passage. And as I got to studying and thinking, I thought, I can't. I just need to take a little time in Hebrews chapter 12. Keep in mind that the keys to understanding Hebrews, that the theme is Christ is better than. Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than Aaron. Christ is better than the prophets. Better than the Old Testament system of sacrifices. Also, genuine faith perseveres. One has genuine faith, it will persevere. Now, in relation to the context, the larger context involves Christ better than, but also perseverance. (coughs) Excuse me. In chapter 1, 1 through 14, Christ is better than the angels. Chapter 2 talks about Christ being like his brothers. That is, he was made human. He took upon himself human form. Chapter 2, 1 through 4, is a call to persevere. In light of Christ being better than angels, persevere. In chapter 3, Christ is better than Moses. At the end of chapter 3, there's a call to persevere. In chapters 4 through 8, talks about Christ and his priesthood. Now, being a priest after the order of Melchizedek, better than the Mo, or uh, priesthood of Aaron. In chapter 5, verses 11 through chapter 6 and verse 6, there's a call to persevere. In chapter 9, verses 1 through chapter 10 and verse 18, talks about sacrifices in Christ and what he did. A once-for-all sacrifice. Old Testament, it was sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Chapter 9, 19 through chapter 13 and verse 25 is again a call to persevere. Two themes running throughout. Christ is better than persevere. In the immediate context, Christ offered a once-for-all sacrifice. You know, you don't have, he didn't have to die over and over and over again. There was a call to persevere, very strong call to persevere in chapter 10, 19 through 39. Then in chapter 11, verse 1 through chapter 12 and verse 3, there's examples of those who persevered. We have the example of Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Noah, along with many others. They just persevered. Did they struggle? Yes. Did they have sins? Yes. Did they have failures? Yes. But they persevered. Examples of perseverance. And the ultimate example of perseverance is Christ, who endured the cross and opposition from sinful men. Then in chapter 12, verses 4 through 13, 
there's an exhortation to persevere in discipline. As we're disciplined, persevere. Then in chapter 12, 14 through 13, 24, I think the writer is offering, if you want to call it, some steps in perseverance. Now, as you read Hebrews, and I mentioned this last week, read the passage as written to the body of believers, not mere individuals. So often we read Scripture, how does it apply to me? Read Scripture, how does it apply to a body of believers? The individual mindset is a Western idea. Believers are members of the body of Christ. How one lives deeply influences others in the body. So as we discuss discipline tonight, don't only think about it yourself. Think about it in the context of your marriage. Think about it in the context of your family. Think about it in the context of a local body of believers or even the body of Christ in the Wyoming Valley because he is writing to bodies of believers. And with that in mind, you cannot persevere alone. God never designed us to live an individual Christian life. Oh, I'll make it myself. Not the way God wants you to. We need others. You cannot worship alone. Hebrews 10, as we discussed last week, talk about, talked about corporate worship, you know, the need to gather together. And you can, cannot be disciplined alone. So I get disciplined. That affects Ruth Ann. That affects my kids, my grandkids. Affects the body of Christ. Read Hebrews 12, 4 through 13 as us, not merely me. So let's read Hebrews 12, verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have had all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant, at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but may, or but rather, healed. Now again, keep in mind that Hebrews 12, in, dis in the context of the discipline, comes after chapter 11, verse 1, and chapter 12 through verse 3. Here we have a list of saints who have battled with sin. God disciplined them. God dealt with them. They remain faithful. 
And then we have Christ. Who struggled with opposition from sinful men. And his struggle and opposition from sinful men resorted in death, the shedding of his blood. He says in verse 4 then, in your struggle against sin, in your struggle, in your contending, in your striving against sin. Now the word for sin here is hemorti in the Greek, which you know probably is meaning, meaningless to you, but basically what it means is missing the very point of life which is a relationship with God. In your struggle with sin, which means in day-by-day living, we are tempted to miss the point of life, which is communication with God. You know, relating to God. Now remember, we're born in sin. We continue in sin until Christ works in us But every person comes from a dead or separated from God mold. So we come to faith in Christ, but we still struggle with living in relationship with God. Pose a question. In the last, I'll be generous, in the last two months, how many of you had an incorrect thought about your mate or your kids or your parents? If we're honest, we probably had at least one. Okay, that's part of struggling with sin. Because an incorrect thought about your mate or your kids or your parents or a neighbor, if you want to include them, is not what God designed us for. He designed for us to have godly thoughts towards those people. So we struggle, and you struggle against sin. He says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He just got done mentioning people who did shed their blood. Sawn in two. He mentioned in Hebrews 11, Jesus, as he struggled with sinful men, would have shed his blood. In your struggle with sin, he says to the readers, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And then he says... And you have forgotten. He's saying to those who hear this that you have forgotten. You've forgotten entirely. The readers had forgotten what is going to be stated in verses 5 and 6. You have forgotten that word of encouragement, that word of persuasion, that cheering influence that addresses you as sons. Now, what is the cheering influence? What is the word of encouragement? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes every son he accepts or everyone he accepts as a son. Have you ever considered discipline is a time when you should be encouraged. Because I'm a child of God.
discipline. This would be coming from Proverbs. And Proverbs means to band, to hold together. I grew up on a farm, so I'll use a farm illustration. We baled hay. The bale came out about this long, this high, and maybe this wide. And every one of the bales was disciplined. When the bale was not disciplined, there was something wrong with the baler. Because around every bale were two strings. It was banded together. See, discipline is God working in our lives to band us together to keep us from going directions that are apart from what he designed. And that's a word of encouragement. Don't, he says, you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. See, we tend to think discipline is negative. It's a bad thing. The writer of Hebrews is communicating that it is a good thing. Since we all battle with sin, we miss the point of life, which is a relationship with God. We all need discipline. If we think we can get by without discipline, then we don't understand sin and the depth of our sin. Well, you say, I'm good. I don't need a lot of discipline. Well, then you're saying you're not, you were not dead in sin. We all came out of the same mold. Discipline is good. To fail, to have discipline indicates one is not a child of God. Oh, how we develop distorted thinking. Since all believers were totally dead, we will all experience discipline. To fail to be disciplined or to think one is too good for discipline may indicate one is still dead in sin. Discipline is a sure mark of sonship or daughtership. To think you don't need discipline is to deny that you were dead or you're very sick. Are we encouraged and comforted when we're disciplined? Do we see discipline in a profitable light? No one is so well behaved that they don't need discipline. No one. For one to think they don't need discipline means there's some serious issues going on in their life that are not good. My son, if you please, my child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't regard it lightly. Don't regard the Lord's discipline lightly. Discipline involves, and it's used several times in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, involves education or training up and correction. So what does God do? He corrects us. That may be painful at times. Other times he may teach you something, trying to make a shift in life. But it's discipline. We tend to view discipline as a terrible thing because it shows we are wrong. Why do we fear admitting we sin or miss the point of life? Why do we fear that? Are we seeking our worth in how we appear or how well we live or how others may think of us? How often do you hear someone come up to you and say, Hey, Ray, I just wanted you to know, the Lord really disciplined me this week. It was great. Hurt, 
But it was great. And Ray thinks, oh, he must really be bad. He needed discipline. The person says, I admit I struggle with sin because I came from deadness to life. This is a good thing. But we tend to think, oh, what's wrong with me? I get discipline. Maybe we ought to change the question, why shouldn't I get discipline? Because God loves me and I'm coming out of deadness. I was dead. Now I'm in life, but I still struggle with sin. If we're attempting to be seen as not that bad, we're in serious trouble because we are. <laughs> Ray. As I read the text, the question crossed, this is a question crossed my mind. How does the Lord discipline? The writer assumes the Hebrews knew how the Lord would discipline. He doesn't explain it. But I think we can safely say it's not the conscience. I think you're on track there, Ray. We'll probably come back more on that a little, but our conscience, even as believers, can get distorted. Because if I do something wrong one time and I don't deal with it the next time, I don't think it's, oh, that's really not that bad. So, you know, I do it again. After a while, we, you know, our conscience is messed up some. But we do know that discipline involves some type of correction, and it can involve pain. Again, we'll touch on that a little. Further comment, right? Okay. Discipline is a good thing. See, we're coming from deadness into life. But in later Romans 6, we still struggle with living in relationship with God. In reality, we should welcome discipline, cry out for discipline so that we can share in God's holiness and experience a peaceable harvest of righteousness. That's a different take on discipline. Oh, how we need to embrace discipline. When I say embrace, we welcome it. Resist the enemies, the world, the Satan, and the sinful nature's view of discipline, which says discipline is a terrible thing. What's wrong with me? Discipline is a good thing. Why shouldn't I get it? I'm a child of God, and I'm coming out of a deadness into life, and I still struggle with sin. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't regard it slightly. That is the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart 
Don't become weary. Don't become exhausted when he rebukes you. When he refutes you, when he says you're wrong, you need to make a shift. When he lays your heart bare and says, Dan, the way you treat Ruthann's probably been more about you than about me. But God, no, you're to love her as Christ loved the church. Well, I do, don't I? Seems to be a lot of you in it sometimes. That's discipline. But he says, don't lose heart. Don't become weary. Don't become exhausted. Don't become despondent. When God lays bare or rebukes you or if that happens to us as a body of believers. The idea of rebuke is the Lord showing us our heart for what it is at times. That is laying bare our desires, our thinking, our values, our actions that are moving us away from experiencing the point of life, which is relating openly to God. Now, I want you to think about something in our area, and it's not limited to our area. It's true in many areas. I talk to mom and that's happening down in that area and talk to other pastors, other parts of the country, it's happening. But you'll find in many areas there's squabbles going on over worship style and music. The very fact that there's a squabble going on is indicative that the Lord wants to rebuke us and lay bare that we're being selfish in our worship, that I want it my way. Whatever your way is, it's got to be this way. <clears throat> I'm not saying what's right or wrong. I'm just the very fact that we want it our way. It's indicative that the Lord is saying, hey, I want to lay this bare. You're selfish in your worship. That's a rebuke. He says, don't lose heart when the Lord rebukes you. Or think of another area that uh, the Lord, in light of Hebrews 10, when believers neglect consistently gathering together with other believers, he may lay bare our desire. Why don't you desire to get together with other believers regularly? What's wrong with you? That's the norm. Believers desire to gather with other believers. Why don't you have that desire? You know, you're drifting off the path here. Do we see that as discipline? That's a good thing. That's God working in us. See, we don't live as islands. Don't lose heart. Don't become weary when the Lord rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He corrects, he trains those he loves, those that he's committed to. No discipline, no love. No love, no child. Ah, yeah, honey, I want you to know the Lord disciplined me yesterday. Here's how. Boy, this is great. Well, it hurts like crazy, but it's great. I am God's child. He loves me. He didn't let me get away with that. 
He's bringing me into conformity with what He desires. And He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. The idea of punish is it involves physical pain. I'm not saying all physical sickness. I'm just saying physical pain or to chastise, to afflict for correction. Sometimes we need pain to get our attention. It's one of the reasons God prescribes physical discipline for children. They need physical pain to get their attention. You can stand them in a corner, and they can have their mind going everywhere else. But when they're physically corrected, they can't escape the pain. They can run to their bedroom, they'll still hurt for a little God's, or pain, seems to be God's megaphone to get our attention. In love, he rebukes. Do not see the affliction, the pain, the scourging, or do we see the affliction, the pain, as the Lord's love and accepting us as children? Then he says in verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. If you have NIV, it says endure hardship as discipline. I think if you have King James, if you, or I, if you endure discipline. In the Greek, the idea is if you endure. It has the word hardship and discipline. Only one word is there in the Greek, and it's discipline. The idea is if you endure, if you remain under, if you bear up under, if you continue firm in the midst of discipline, God is treating you as sons. Ah, I don't like this discipline. I'm going to run away. Oh, indicating you're not a child. Maybe you're not a child. If you endure discipline, God is treating you as sons. If you endure. You ever think about a discipline you get from God and you endure? You say, oh, yeah, I'm a child of God. I went through the discipline and I hung in. I didn't run away from it. I didn't resist it. I accepted it. Endure, or if you endure discipline, God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? I want to make a comment on this verse. For what son is not disciplined by his father? When the term discipline is used, a father disciplining his children, it's not yelling at a child, it's not beating a child, it's correcting a child. With gentleness, with love, with grace. If you beat a child, you're not disciplined. If you're yelling at a child, you're not disciplining If you're making them feel bad intentionally with your words, that's not discipline because all of that has to do with you. He says, for what son is not disciplined by his father? We have many fathers today that do not, do not discipline their children. What is the father communicating to his child? The father is communicating, I don't love you. You're not sinful, and you're not my child. 
I want you to think about that. A father who does not discipline his children, and I'm talking within the context of Scripture, the way God desires discipline, is communicating, I don't love you, you're not sinful, and you're not my child. Is it any wonder so many children struggle? Do we see the enemy distorting love? The enemy attacks fathers and lures them to be passive, and they will sit back and not discipline their children. And the child thinks, well, I guess dad don't love me. I guess I'm really not that bad. I'm better than I thought I was. And they go on life thinking that way and don't develop a relationship with God. And they think, well, I guess I'm not dad's child. I must be someone else's child. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, he says, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Now that is in the context of the Lord's discipline, but also in the context of you know, the example of a father disciplining his children. The word for illegitimate means a bastard. One begotten and born out of a lawful wedlock. One who is false. One who is impure. Now stop and think. To claim you don't need discipline indicates you don't understand sin. And you may think you're not a child of God. To be proud of little discipline is to be proud of self-sufficiency and independence from the Lord. If we are to brag, it should be about how much discipline we receive because it shows we're sons or daughters. We're loved by God and accepted as his child. Little or no discipline is problematic. See, the enemies, the world system, Satan, and our own sinful nature has distorted God's way and pattern. To say it's a terrible thing, it's not good. To run from discipline is failing to endure. Ray, go ahead.
Have we ever stopped to consider that when our kids are so bad when they're around us is that maybe they're saying, Dad and Mom, do you love me? And we don't discipline them and they come to the conclusion they don't love me. You say kids don't think that way. As they move into their teen years, they develop that mindset. Priscilla? <laughs> See, now notice what he says. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. All of God's children are disciplined. Now, we struggle with that, I think, to some extent, because we see God similar to what we see men or fathers like. And depends on your background with your dad and how he may have responded to you in discipline influences how you view discipline and how you view God. And we have different backgrounds. I understand that. I happen to come from a background that I don't ever remember my dad yelling at me when I did wrong. I don't ever remember him beating me. I don't ever remember him saying unkind words to me and telling me how stupid I was or I was an idiot or anything else. I'm not saying he never did. I just don't recall him. Apparently, if he did, it didn't have any impact on me. You know, it wasn't a real emotional experience. I do remember getting paddled. And that results in security. When there's discipline. That's why even a 20-year-old needs to be talked to by dad. I think even a 30-year-old sometimes being talked to by dad because dad loves that child. You say, they're out under my roof. I don't have any responsibility for them. They're still your child. You're not going to bend them over your knee. If you do, don't come whining to me if it doesn't pan out very good. But you can verbalize some things. You can talk to them. They may not respond. They're not responsible for the response. But that gives security. See, God doesn't get angry and beat us in love. He disciplines, trains, corrects for our good. He goes on, moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. Again, in the culture in which we live, some people have not had a human father who disciplined them. Well, they have a father, obviously, but dad may not have discipline. Or if he did, it wasn't discipline, it was 
losing his cool, and so on. But discipline us, and we respected them for it. You say, kids sometimes are bitter against dad for the discipline they get. They probably didn't get discipline. They got something else that probably wasn't discipline. Or they may not respect dad because they didn't get any discipline. Oh, I was a good kid. I didn't need any discipline. Hmm, you were? Let's talk about that a little. No one is good enough that they don't need discipline. If I think I'm good enough that I don't need discipline, then I don't understand sin. Some learn quicker than others. See, if God doesn't discipline us, then we're bastards. We're not loved by him. We're not his child. That's what Hebrews is saying. Discipline is a good thing. It's a precious thing. It's a wonderful thing. And discipline for a child is a precious thing, a wonderful thing. But the world system and the enemy, Satan, and our own sinful nature are so distorted at that we think it's terrible. And we raise children that think discipline is terrible. Because we don't discipline or we don't discipline biblically. See, our fathers discipline us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, for our profit, that we may share in his holiness. God's correction of us, God's shaping of us, bringing pain into our lives is so that we may partake of his holiness. Oh God, I don't seem to be very holy. And God says, well, I've been disciplining you. Well, why don't you discipline me? Because you're not my kid. Or, I've been disciplining you, and you have not been submitting to it. You've not been enduring it. You've been resisting it. He clearly states, God disciplines us for our good, our profit, our benefit, that we may share in his holiness. Discipline produces holiness. And that's why he says, if you endure discipline, God is treating you as sons. That's why he said in verse 5, you have forgotten the word of encouragement. He says, please understand that God disciplines us for our good, that we may partake of his holiness. So next Sunday morning... Suppose I get up and said, uh, we're going to have a different type of service this morning. I'm going to give you all an opportunity to brag about your discipline that you had from the Lord in the last couple of weeks. And I don't use bragging the wrong way. We're just going to share how the Lord has disciplined us. 
say, Pastor, what's the point of all this? Well, we're moving towards holiness. Discipline results in holiness. It shows God loves us. We're not to lose heart. We're not to become discouraged. So let's talk about how the Lord has been disciplining us. Oh, I, I didn't have any. Oh. Why not? I'm, I'm really good. Hmm. Did you come out, come from deadness to sin? I'm really not that bad. Well, then maybe First John says you're a liar and you're not of the truth. Because you don't admit that you're a sinner. See, the enemy, again, I think has taken something that is very precious and has messed it up to point out how terrible it is. If you read through the Old Testament, God again and again and again disciplined Israel. And Israel again and again and again regarded his discipline lightly, and they ended up in captivity. And you come to the end of the book of Malachi, and Israel continues to resist, and there's 400 years of silence. Then Christ comes in the scene. We'll pick up on this next week. No, discipline is pleasant at the time, but painful, but later on it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace, and discuss that next week. Uh, Just really ponder what we've been discussing tonight, that discipline is a good thing. Stretching this out a little so you get called to the principal's office and principal, everyone says, come back, oh, what'd you do wrong? Well, I did this wrong and it's a good thing. I called to the principal's office. I get disciplined. That guy really loves me. We think, who's he think he is? That we should be teaching our children that when you get disciplined, it's a good thing. Shows the Lord loves us. Shows us we're not illegitimate children. It moves us towards holiness, but we have to submit to it. Questions or comments before we close in prayer?